Happy 204th anniversary, Kentsville Baptist. My goodness. What a beautiful day we have to be in here in the Lord's house. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to the first book in the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 8. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 1. And I'm going to read up through verse 19. And I want to preach this morning on this subject, after the storm. After the storm. Any of y'all been through a storm recently? I mean, some of y'all going through one right now. Um, Or you're getting ready to head into one. So, if you have your Bibles, if you're able to, go ahead and stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her, and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons wise with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps upon the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would manifest yourself to us through your word. I pray that we would glimpse, get a glimpse of who you are and how you deal with your people. I pray that we would continue to get to know you in a more deeper and intimate fashion, not just this morning, but Lord, until you call us home. Lord, above all else, I pray, Lord, that you would put your words in my mouth, your thoughts in my mind and in my heart. 
And Lord, I just freely confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. Lord, have your way with us this morning. In your precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated. Storms come and storms go. But our God remains the same no matter what. And God has got a way of revealing himself, not only through his word, not only through his son, not only in creation, but even in the storms of life. And in this greatest of all storms, God reveals himself in a very clear way. I think it should be the passion of every Christian to know God increasingly. I don't believe in this life you ever get to the place where you can fully fathom all there is to know about our God. The Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and will and emotions with everything that we are. But you cannot fully love someone that you do not know. The more you know of the individual, the deeper that love can increase. So this morning from the Word of God, from this storm that Noah had to go through, I want to show you some things about the God who has saved us, the God that we love, and the God that we serve. And so I want you to notice, first of all, the Bible speaks here of God's love. God's love. Now it's interesting that in this catastrophe of judgment, it is the love of God that is so clearly revealed. You know the story. The world had sunken into wickedness and evil, and God said there's so much corruption and sin. I can't salvage anything out of this world, so I'm just going to take Noah, his wife, his sons, their wives, two of every kind of animal. I'm going to lock them up in that ark, and I'm going to wipe out the human race. This is an act of judgment like the world had never seen. And yet, in the midst of it all, what we see shining through is the love of Almighty God. Now, remember, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, it doesn't say that God loves, it says God is love, right? He's always been love, always is love, and He's always going to be love. Notice the love of God right here in verse 1, how clear it is in God's relationship with Noah. And I just love the way this opens up. It says, then God remembered Noah. Now, Those who have taken the time to compute and figure out how long he's been on that dark, that that ark, from the day he went into the ark until the day he finally comes out of the ark, he and his family have been in that ark for over a year. For a year and change, they've been locked up in that ark. I wonder if there have been times when Noah thought, man, I sure hope God doesn't forget about us. Yeah, we've been in here a long time. How, I mean, how long does it take for God to complete this judgment? I mean, I, I mean, days and weeks pass by, months, and, and, and yet God never forgot them, did he? You've been going through some stuff, and you may feel like God has forgotten you. You may have prayed and sought the face of God, and as of yet, you've not gotten an answer. I want you to know, God remembers you, and God has never forgotten you, and God 
loves you. The people that really concern me this morning that I worry about are those that don't really know the Lord as Savior. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said there's going to come a day when some of you are going to say, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we, we did great miracles in your name. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. But I'm going to say to you, what's he going to say? I never knew you. Yeah, one day, I simply trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And when the Lord saves you, He'll remember you forevermore. He'll remember you in the storm. Someone is here today, you've been through some tough times. But God has not forgotten you. Sometimes when I pray and I see no response from a holy God, that does not mean that God has forgotten me. My God always remembers. He remembers. Folks, He, he knows what my name is. He knows what your name is. I mean, he saves you. He keeps you safe. And you'll land safe in heaven. You just, you just do what He tells you to do. The Bible teaches us that God is a God of grace, and it's His grace that keeps us saved. I was reading about this preacher. He was in a very small town. Church couldn't really afford to pay him much, so on the side, he was a barber. Uh, He was a bivocational pastor. And so he cut hair, and he preached the gospel. One day, this this man in in this little community, he had come into some money, and he decided, hey, you know what? I don't have to shave myself if I don't want to. I, I'm just going to go down to that barber shop, and I think I'm going to get myself a straight razor shave. And so he gets down there to that barber shop, and the barber wasn't there, but his wife Grace was. And she said, the barber's gone. I do most of the shaves around here, and I'd be glad to give you a nice clean shave. And so he says, all right. So she had him sitting there in that chair, and she lathers him up. She takes out that straight razor, puts it on that strop, you know. Getting that thing nice and sharp. She just shaved his face as professionally and as cleanly as could be. And then she put one of those hot towels on his face. Any of you guys ever had that? Man, that's nice. And, and then she, they, she gets him all cleaned up, puts a little bit of that bay rum on there, gets him smelling kind of nice. And, and, and when it's all said and done, she got finished. And he says, well, how much is that? She said, $25. He a little stunned a little bit, but, you know, he said, well, he had a little bit extra money, so he paid her and he went on home. And that night he went to bed, and next morning when he got up, he went in there to, to shave, but when he got in there, he was amazed because his face was just as smooth as the cheeks of a baby. And there, I mean, there was no stubble, no five o'clock shadow. It was as if he'd just been shaved. I mean, and he thought, well, maybe it was worth $25, you know, I got two days out of this. You know, and so, well, he went to bed the next night. Next morning, he got up, and man, it was just as smooth as silk. Four days. He gets up after he goes to visit that barber shop, and he, he feels his face. Man, it's like he, he, it's like, man, he, like he just shaved. So he went back down into that barber shop, and he went in. He told that barber, I came in here the other day, and I got a shave. He said, I don't understand it. I haven't had to shave in four days. And the barber said, sir, don't you understand? You were shaved by grace. And once shaved, always say shave. Hey, what wasn't that worth the trip coming in here this morning? What? One lesson to learn: nobody can tell a joke like Brother Kelly. So, uh, <laughs> but the other is that I just want to tell you: when you're saved by grace, you're kept by grace. We ought to cherish that. 
You know, we don't value the grace of God enough. I, I couldn't stay saved if it wasn't for the grace of God. You know, you got these people out there who say, you know, well, you can lose your salvation. Well, if you can lose your salvation, you need to stop calling it eternal life. The same one who got me saved is the same one who keeps me saved. And he's the one that's going to get me across the finish line. And brother, hey, like everybody else, I need that grace. Not just way back when I got saved, but I need it on a daily basis. Don't you? The shepherd knows his sheep. The Father knows His children. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No matter how big the storm and no matter how far you stumbled. So the Bible says God remembered Him. And God showed His love in a very tangible way in that the waters began to recede in verses 2 and 3. Verse 4, the Bible says that the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, which is in modern day Turkey. You know where there are people who have gone over there and tried to find the ark, thinking, you know, we, we can just find that ark. Maybe just bring back a, a, a piece of that wood. We can convince someone that the Bible is true and, and that God is really God. You know, let me explain something to you. If you're not going to believe the gospel, you won't believe some stick of wood. All right? If you don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not going to believe the remains of some boat they find sitting on some mountainside. In fact, why would you be so hung up on finding the ark, folks? Because the ark was only a picture of the real thing. I'm grateful this morning, man. I didn't find the ark. The ark found me. Amen. I didn't go looking for Jesus. He came hunting me down to save my soul. Amen. Now, I want you to know, here in verse 4, this is, this is a great picture of the love of God. Because, you know, you wonder sometimes. I wonder, just trying to get a mental picture. I know intellectually God loves the world. But what, I mean, trying to get your heart and your mind to grasp that, to understand that a little bit more, that's a difficult thing. Notice the Bible says that the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. You know, a lot of unusual things happen on mountains in the Bible. Remember when Elijah, when he faced down the prophets of Baal, that happened where? On a mountaintop, right? And, you know, you know remember where, where was Jesus transfigured? He was transfigured and showed his glory on top of a mountain. And when Jesus comes back again, where is he going to land? He's going to light down on the Mount of Olives. And but the greatest display of love that we have ever seen and ever will see was when Jesus Christ died on a hill called Mount Calvary. I want you to know our Lord Jesus Christ fastened to that cross, dying in agony and shame, shedding his blood to pay our sin debt in full. Just as this ark came to rest on that dry land of that mountain, I want you to know this morning that to be saved, your faith has to come to the place where you rest it on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid it all on the cross. Everything that needs to be done to save your soul was done on Mount Calvary through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the Bible teaches us that God is love. God remembered Noah, and he came to rest in that ark safely on top of that mountain, which is a picture of us resting our faith on the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it shows me to never doubt the love of God. God is in control. God's in control of storms. God's in control of the weather. He's in control of water. God's in control of nature. God's in control of the animals. God's in control of trouble. God's in control of all problems. God is in control of whatever you are walking through. God knows you. God loves you. And God is never going to forget you. And you need to leave this place this morning knowing this. You are the subject, the object, I mean, that of the undiminished, undiluted, 
unrelenting, undying love of the Almighty. The Bible reveals to us here God's love. But the Bible also reveals to us something here about God's guidance. Now, God does guide His children, doesn't He? And the psalmist said we're not supposed to be like the horse, and we're not supposed to be like the mule. You know, mule's kind of stubborn, lags behind, and a wild horse is sort of at the other end of the spectrum. You know, it, it runs ahead. And we don't lag behind, and we don't run ahead of God. When we don't have the word to go, then we need to sit tight until God says go, right? The worst decisions you can make in life are ones that are made on impulse. Decisions are made purely on emotion and feelings. If you're not sure, then wait. Folks, faith is not ignorant and uninformed. But faith is always guided by divine revelation, by the Word of God. And when the Spirit of God that is within you, and the Word of God that's before you, God speaks to that inner man and suddenly That inner man picks up on that guidance that God is giving you because the Spirit of God that is in you begins to bear witness to the Word of God that's before you. God clearly will guide you. The Bible says in verse 6 that when this ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, it said that it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened up the window of the ark which he had made. Now, notice, he didn't say, Whew, man, we're on dry land. Glad that's over with. I mean, everybody out. That's that's what I would have done. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what all of us would have done, right? Uh, I mean, it's obvious that the ark has come to rest on land. My gracious, I've been in here over a year. Can't take it anymore. I mean, you talk about cabin fever. That's not what he does. The Bible says he opens the window, and the first bird he sends out is the raven. And that raven goes to and fro. He comes back, goes back out, comes back. But notice he does not trust the raven. It's not the raven he trusts to indicate to him whether or not it's safe for him to to, to come out of that ark. What is it? It's that dove, right? Now, he sends out the raven, and it goes back and forth. It says in verse 8, And then he sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded. Now, notice... Because I'm going to tie all of this in with a great New Testament application here to help us to be guided by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in verse 9, But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So the Bible says in verse 10, He waited. And the Bible says in verse 12, What? He waited. Not moving. Not budging. Not till I get a word from God. Now the Bible says the dove did come back one day, verse 11. It says he had an olive leaf in his beak. And that olive leaf, of course, is a picture of grace. And then one day the Bible says in verse 12, he sent out the dove, but the dove did not return again to him anymore. Let me explain to you something about the dove and the raven. Most of you guys know this, but a raven is a scavenger. I mean, they'll eat garbage. There's pretty not much they won't eat. Okay, a raven will feast on a dead carcass. And the way God looks at things, the raven is an unclean animal. It's an unclean bird. The dove, on the other hand, was considered to be a clean bird. It was often used in ancient sacrifices. And remember when Jesus was baptized? The Bible says when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended him, not in the form of a raven, but in the form of a dove. And rested upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't trust the raven because he knows that that old raven would just be 
happy as a pig in slop to sit out there on a floating carcass that's bobbing along out there in the water, but not the dove. The dove is not going to feast on garbage. That dove is not going to be at home, not, not going to rest on some animal carcass. In fact, when you're driving down the road in rural Virginia, and you see some poor animal out there, we call it roadkill, okay? I mean, I've never seen a dove out there feasting on some dead possum or some other animal. A dove is not a scavenger. A dove is a clean bird. Now, I've been told by those who know such things that a dove has no gallbladder and cannot digest that which is bitter. And I've also been told by those who know such things that doves mate for life. And if the dove loses its mate, it'll soul up and won't mate with another dove. And so you stop to think about that. That kind of makes a lot of sense to me why, why God would choose the dove to be a picture of the Holy Spirit. It helps me to understand an awful lot. The Holy Spirit is illustrated in the New Testament by the dove, and the dove is illustrating the Holy Spirit here. Who's going to guide you? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy, I mean, who's going to lead you? The Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, who better? But the Holy Spirit can't lead you, and the Holy Spirit cannot guide you if He's not in control of you, And the Holy Spirit is not going to guide you if he's agitated and jealous and upset because you got a bunch of spiritual trash in your life. That's why he's disturbed. That's why he's aggravated. I mean, that's why you're so restless inside. You got some stuff in there that shouldn't be there. You've been fussy at home. You've been ugly to your spouse. You've wronged your children. You've disrespected your parents. You're not going to doing right by people at work. You got a sorry attitude, bitter spirit, an unforgiving spirit. And you're wondering why you're so restless inside. The dove is not comfortable in you. There is no resting place in there. He can't get settled down. And he's agitating saying, would you please clean this mess up? I don't like a dirty house. You need to clean up this heart. You need to confess these sins. Let me tell you this, beloved, when you confess your sins and you get right with God and you let the Holy Spirit control you, all of a sudden, you don't have a restless spirit. You'll experience the peace, that olive branch, the peace that passes all understanding. And that in God can, can speak to you from His Word to lead you and guide you and direct you. So if you want the dove of God to be at home in your life, you just need to get you out of the way, confess your sins, and let Jesus Christ be Lord. Isn't that something? I mean, one day he loosed that dove and that dove didn't return. One of the great old preachers said he loosed that dove, which pictures the Holy Spirit, and that dove was looking for a resting place. He flew over Mount Sinai where Moses was given the law, but there was no grace there, so he just kept flying over those Ten Commandments. He flew over Esther and Samuel, and and he even flew over the Psalms, Proverbs, all of the wisdom of Solomon. He flew over the minor prophets, came to the end of Malachi, where prophesied that God was just going to turn out the lights. Dove kept looking for a resting place to be at home. Finally, flying over 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew, when there was no word from God and the heavens were silent, that Holy Ghost dove just kept flying, looking for a resting place. But one day, looking down from the clouds by the River Jordan, Jesus was coming straight away up out of the water, and suddenly that dove dived down, found a resting place, landed upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and anointed Him to go forth to perform miracles and to preach the gospel. And I'm telling you this morning that when you trusted Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of a living God came into you, lives in you this moment. Get out of the way. Let him take over and be at home. Not only do we see something about God's love and something about God's... One more thing about God's guidance here. It's the Spirit and the Word that guides, right? And I want you to notice that He still doesn't leave the ark. I need to point this out before I move on. That dove doesn't come back. What is Noah waiting for? He sent out that raven. Then the dove comes back with an olive branch, which means the waters have receded. And then one day the dove doesn't even come back. So that means there's there's a clean place for him to land. What is he waiting for? This is what he's waiting for in verse 15. Bible says, when, then God spoke to Noah. Folks, when God speaks to you, it is not vague. When God speaks, it's not some kind of hocus pocus code that you have to decipher. Amen. All right. Russell, I've been reading the book about Bible codes. Why don't you get rid of that? That is nothing but a bunch of hocus pocus. There is no code that is written in the Bible. This is the divine revelation of a holy God. And God speaks clearly from His Word, and He does not mumble. The Bible says in verse 15, God spoke to Noah saying, I left some clues in the ark. There's a code in the boards inside the ark. Buy my book, and I'll, I'll tell you how to find it. Bible says God said in verse 16. Now, folks, how specific is this? Go out of the ark. I mean, do you really? I mean, you don't need a translator for that one. Okay? You want to talk about specific? You, your wife, your sons, your sons' wives, all of the animals. God speaks with precision to his people who are controlled by the Spirit and await from a word from God. That is God's guidance. And not only do we see something about God's love and God's guidance, let me show you how something, something about God's greatness is greatness. Now, when you understand how majestic, and, and folks, this flood shows us how big our God is, how beyond this world our God is. He cannot be measured, he cannot be contained, he cannot be manipulated, and he cannot be controlled. It shows us the greatness of God. What is our response to the greatness of God? What did we come here for this morning? Thank you. Yes, to worship. Yeah. I, the first thing Noah does when he gets off of that ark, the first thing he does is he worships God. God wills for us to worship, and God wants our worship. And folks, he expects our worship. Now, worship is ascribing worth to God. Praise gives voice to our worship. Worship is an ascription of praise, an ascription of work to a holy God, and it magnifies His greatness. God prepared them to worship. He said, two of this animal, two of that animal. But the Bible said in Genesis 7, verse 2, you shall take with you seven of each clean animal. Why is that? Because He needs to come out worshiping. And if He only has two of each kind, He won't have enough to worship God the way He needs to worship. So God says, you're going to take seven, which is a divine number of the clean animals. So when you get off the ark, you can have church. When you get off the ark, you can worship. Notice that his first instinct when he got off the ark was not to build a house. His first act was not to throw some party. Boy, I didn't ever think I'd get out of that place, man. I never have to see another animal as long as I live. Man. 
He didn't try and map out a plan for survival in this new world that he found himself in. His first concern was worshiping God. Look what the word says. The Bible says in verse 18, wait, God said in verse 15, 16, go out of the ark so Noah went out. This is how simple it is, folks. Russell, how can I live a successful Christian life? When he tells you to do something, do it. You ever seen that thing, Bob Newhart? You know, he's sitting there, that, 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 that lady across the desk, and she's talking about her problems, and he just says, stop it. Just stop it. This is what got you doing something wrong. Stop it. Stop doing it. I tell you to do something, do it. Folks, you don't have to split atoms here. This is not, this is not some, you don't have to have a, you don't have to have a degree. Just be obedient to God. Now notice verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took up every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. God's plan of salvation does not change. Salvation is provided by God through the shed blood of a substitute who takes our place. And God looks on the blood of a slain sacrifice and reckons righteousness to those who put their faith in that sacrifice. So it does not change. Plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation is through the blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's prefigured and prophesied here. So Noah, he's coming off of that ark into a new world. He's still a sinner who needs an altar where there's a sacrifice to atone for his sins. So folks, does God accept this kind of worship? Does God accept this sacrifice? Look at what the Bible says in verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. I wonder if our church smells good. I, I'll be honest with you. I've been in some churches that stink, man. I mean, just, just saying. And I, now, I'm not talking about, you know, they're, they're mean spirit or something. I, I mean, they really stink. I mean, I mean, I've been in some churches that have been around forever. I mean, they're half dead. And you walk in there and you, they got, it's got a musty odor. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Just kind of musty odor, kind of mildewy a little bit. And, you know, you go in there and it's hard to be enthusiastic over musty. You know, it just is. Do we smell musty? I mean, I'm talking about our spiritual lives. Do we smell musty? Or do we have so much sin in our lives that we just flat stink? The Bible says they got an altar. They've got a sacrifice. They offer up that sacrifice and that smoke from that sacrifice is going up. Bible says in verse 21 that the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. There will never be a flood like this. Folks, our great God is so amazing. He can look at a sinner. He knows that he himself is absolutely sinless and pure. How can a holy God be reconciled to a sinner? God says, I have a way. An altar of sacrifice, a prescribed sacrifice, and I will receive that. And I want to go back to the cross one more time. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That cross was a holy altar, and Jesus once and for all satisfied that sin debt. And I want you to know this morning that when Jesus Christ, are you ready for this? When Jesus Christ died, it is finished. That was a holy aroma received in the very mind and heart and presence of Almighty God. Now think on this for a minute. Noah's God is your God, right? Fashions change. 
Man, still waiting for polyester leisure suits, man. Fashions change. People change. God does not change. The shadow does not turn. All right, J.I. Packer, he wrote a book one time entitled Knowing God. It's actually a modern-day classic. I believe every Christian should read it at least once. He details and he teaches about all the various attributes of God. He, I mean, he, and he does it in such a, such a beautiful way. I like what he wrote about the fact that God does not change. He says this, and I quote, he says, God does not change. God's love does not change. He is from everlasting to everlasting. God's character does not change. Strain or shock can alter the character of man, but nothing can alter the character of God. God's truth does not change. It is forever settled in the heavens. God's way does not change. He still deals with people today as he dealt with them in the scriptures. God's purposes do not change. The Lord is not a man that he should repent. And finally, but most importantly, God's son does not change because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My friend, this morning, I've just given you a brief taste of what our word says about the God that we serve. Most everybody in here that I know, you're on board. You're following the Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe there's somebody here. You say, I want to follow a God like that. I feel Him putting His finger on my heart right now. What you need to do during this invitation time, Brother Ken's going to come up here. He's going to lead us through the invitation. You need to be sensitive and obedient to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. That's not me. I'm not that good a speaker. Folks, that's the Spirit of God that's touching your heart. Amen. If He's prompting you to do something, to do business, th- there's no better place to do it. If you've not been saved, you need to come in your heart to the cross and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and live His life through you. Some of you, maybe you're Christians, but... No other way to say it. You're you're backslidden. You've been walking at a guilty distance, just like Peter did. But you know that's not where you want to be. You want to be with Jesus Christ the way you were when you first got saved, right? Amen. Today's the day. Come forward. Rededicate your life. Repent of those sins. You don't need to air your laundry out here, but you need to do business with the one who really means business. Some of you, you're Christians, you're visiting here. Some of you have been visiting here so long, we think you're a member. God's telling you, I want you to be a part of this congregation. Come forward and be obedient. The only way to be successful in the Christian life is when God tells you to do something. Just do it. Amen. Brother Ken.